This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with the Assistant Athletic Director at Linfield University, Steve Simmons. He discusses his role at the university and the emphasis they place on player-led activities and how they implement this scheme, his experiences of recruiting in the US and the standout features for some of the best players he's worked with that now play in the MLS and how practitioners cope with a pressurised environment at a high-profile Division 1 school. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, make sure you share it with family and friends. I hope you enjoy. Steve, first of all, thank you very much for giving up your your Tuesday morning to talk to us. Um, how are you? How are things? Are you all safe and well and busy? Yeah, thanks for for having me. It's it's been um, a roller coaster of a spring here. I, I live in uh, the Pacific Northwest, and um, you know all things that are COVID related. This last year, um, I know all of us have had to deal with um, that. In, in certain capacities. And, you know, I work at a, um, a private, a small university. And so we have our own specific challenges. Um, we, we just ended our, our, our spring term uh, last week. And so, um, you know, you kind of go a little bit in survival mode just to make sure that we can still have, uh, you know, in-person classes and for, for us, uh, sporting events uh, on campus. And so we're almost to the other side there. Um, so we, we consider ourselves pretty fortunate. And, um, you know, we're, we're planning for, for brighter days um, uh, in the fall when we, when we start back up in several months. Perfect. Well, glad to hear you're well. And I think everyone's the same, hoping that the, the world begins to open back up and kind of the, the, the knowledge that's been shared or the connections we have, we can actually do in person rather than doing it on Zoom as, as we are now. Um, I guess for those people that don't uh, necessarily know your background or haven't come across your work, do you want to just kind of talk through, um, I guess, as you said, where you are at the moment and maybe some of the highlights to get you to that point? Yeah, so uh, currently um, I'm um, an assistant athletic director at Linfield University. We're, we're um, uh, in McMinnville, Oregon, probably about 40, 45 minutes south southwest of uh, Portland, which is the, the metropolitan area uh, that is in our region. And um, I also serve as the director of soccer here and coach the women's, the women's soccer team. So um, I wear many hats, which is, is, is pretty typical for a, uh, a smaller private uh, university in, in the States. Uh, before that, um, I was, um, had been soccer coach at Oregon State University which is a larger state institution uh, just down the road uh, from, from, uh, from uh, Linfield. And um, was there uh, for about, gosh, since 2009. So I was at the Oregon State 2009 to 2017. Before that, um, at Northern Illinois University, and that's just outside of Chicago. So um, kind of, uh, I'm going backwards in my chronology here. Um, uh, that was, uh, kind of the career track I was on with uh, coaching, coaching university soccer in the States. 
And I've been doing that basically since uh, 1990, 91. Um, and and I, I really found it a, a very enriching. However, um, you know, for 17 years, I was in this NCAA Division I track of coaching. And um, that, that takes on a different type of um, uh, profile of, of what, what's expected. It's probably the closest thing uh, to uh, what you would find in the professional uh, expectations as far as wins, loss, et cetera, pressure, all those other aspects as we connect it to the professional game. Um, however, there's uh, something really unique and authentic about coaching uh, in, in the university in the States where, you know, you, you, every year you're, you're going to deal with, for the most part, 18, 19, 20-year-old uh, student athletes who are trying to figure it out. You know, and so um, in addition to trying to, to compose a winning soccer program um, and winning games, uh, it's um, also helping helping these uh, young people out in their journey and uh, how they're trying to figure things and, and what their identities are, are going to be. Um, and that that's kind of when, when I when I strip it all back, that's as much as I love the game and I, and I love to get into the, the strategies and the tactics and whatnot. Um, I think that that really is the the purpose that sticks out the most is is being there to to create an environment to help them to mentor if they if they want that um, because it, it's a fast four years you know four years is usually the the time frame that um, you know the kids in the United States spend at university for their 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 undergraduate degree and um, you know in the meantime if we can do something that we all love which is the game uh, of soccer. Um, that's great. That's wonderful. Um, but depending on, on, you know, what level you might, uh, coach, um, that, that, um, could be quite different. And so I've been fortunate. I've coached at many different levels and, um, they, they take on kind of a, a personality of their own. Um, uh, and I'm, I've been fortunate to experience all the highs and lows that come with that, you know, um, especially starting out where, um, you know, trying to get employment in, uh, in coaching in university is, you know, is the only profession that, you know, not the only, but the one I, I could say that you have to take a pay cut to go forward, right? So um, that was uh, certainly the case in my early years, um, trying to uh, carve out a, um, a professional pathway, but it's been, it's been wonderful. I've, I've been able to, my wife and I have been able to raise a family um, we have three grown children. And, um, so now as I, as I coach these, these kids that, that, that I'm around are very much similar age to my youngest son, uh, who, who happens to be a, a sophomore at, at Linfield. And, um, I kind of see my, my role being a lot more parental, you know, than it had been in the past. And, um, you know, that, that, um, kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe put some, extra responsibility that I feel that um, I owe it to the parents of these kids that I'm coaching. Um, so it's certainly, as I've gotten older and through my experiences, have um, been more holistic as far as um, how I see uh, my objectives uh, in my role. Yeah, I think you've obviously touched on some really interesting experiences there. I know having done my research at a number of the players you've worked with have gone on to have good careers, particularly in the MLS, et cetera. And we'll touch base on that a little bit later on. 
I guess um, starting with where you are now, um, how was it coming into obviously a, a private setting, private school setting as, as you are now? And what were the differences between being at a slightly bigger college um, and, and higher profile to where you are now? What were the challenges with that? Well, well, kind of, uh, you know, ironically, um, and I and I didn't mention mention this earlier. Linfield, I I had uh, I coached here uh, in the early uh, years of my um, of my coaching career, so I, I actually was here from nineteen ninety six to two thousand one, and so uh, Linfield gave me my first full time employment as a coach. However, I, I did, I, I was coaching the men's and women's at the same time. And um, I also coached the women's lacrosse team in the spring. That was, that was an interesting challenge. And then I was our, our, I did some administrative work. I was our NCAA compliance officer, which is basically the rules person uh, for, for the athletic department. And so I, I, was, I did that early on. So I, I got a taste of what it was like to coach at a small private uh, university. Um, and, and I'm also a product of a small private university uh, as a student athlete uh, myself back in the day. But then when I left Linfield, that's when that journey began into, okay, we're going to go into uh, bigger state institutions where, um, yeah, the dynamic is different, right? Um, the, 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 the objectives are slightly different. There, there probably was a bit of a more of a... a an emphasis on um, winning and losing, to be honest with you, uh, for sure. Um, we while it's more, we had more um, resources than at the, the small university. It, the places that I I coached, it was we were always relatively behind our our competitors that we had to to compete against, and so um, you know I felt like we were always the the bottom third of the Premier League for the most part that's how I felt um and you have to punch your way up you have to figure it out right um and sometimes when you're when you're doing that um and uh the the results are hard to come by um you know there's a significant amount of pressure that comes with that and how you react to it and how the players feel um which is completely different than um maybe what you would feel at where I'm at right now um and so the other piece that you know that there 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 are administrators that um you know that at the bigger universities that a part of their professional um, pathway is to you know be able to produce winning sports programs right build facilities and uh, um, provide winning sports programs so you know if you're in a situation where you know you're you're maybe not doing as well as you need to um, in your in your wins losses um, that that might uh, you know spur on uh, an administrator trying to create his or her pathway to make a change right so so you you've got different levels of, of pressures that um, that will be really dependent on leadership styles right um, and and kind of their experiences so that's I thought very very unique, and so you know, being at a place uh, like a like a Linfield that's a smaller uh, liberal arts, um, there's always the want to win. We all want to do well. I think that um, 
it's just not front and center to the degree it is at, at, at the larger institutions where um, in the United States, especially with um, the footballs and the basketballs, the ones, you know, that are, you know, have, have that NFL, um, you know, NBA, Major League Baseball pipeline, um, that there's, there's so much attention on that. And, you know, when, you, when you're talking about football, and football uh, at the highest level in this country and university, you know, there's 80, 90,000 that fills the stadium. That's ridiculous. I mean, it, it, it's, it's the pressure of being a Premier League manager. You know, it's, it's, it's exactly that pressure. And so, um, you know, uh, it was great to be a part of that. And, and by the way, soccer, very different than football and basketball as far as that. And, and also the paycheck's much different. So, um, but very, very different. But there's elements of that that um, it makes it more difficult for a coach, I believe, to focus on the holistic piece of, of the student athletes. Not to say that the coaches at the big schools can't do that. I know that some do a really good job. But, um, you know, what's front and center are, are usually is your, your wins and losses. And, um, you know, that... Um, that just comes sometimes makes it very, very cloudy to uh, put the, the student athlete first, you know, their well being, make it a student athlete centered scenario, it makes it difficult at times. And so, looking at the, uh, the, the schedule for you guys, before we delve into that, because I think it's really interesting around the, the pressurized environments, et cetera, what would your season look like in, in that environment? So, when would you start pre season? How long would it be for? How many games do you get? What's the ultimate goal? Um, say for an Oregon, for example, and then if you can want to compare it to Linfield, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. So like maybe at a Division One school like Oregon, Oregon State, um, it, it's kind of a twelve month out of the year deal. It, it, it's a it's a full year cycle, um, and and whereas that maybe at, at a Linfield, um, it could be a full year cycle, but it's there's a lot more space in that uh in that cycle for um hands off from the coaches it, because the ncaa the uh um is our governing body um has has a lot of specific rules on um what coaches can and can't do and so you know when you look at the division one which is the the largest um of institutions um they it, these kids are on athletic scholarship usually um, they have a lot of resources usually, and um, it is a is a twelve month out of the year, except for maybe a, you know maybe four to six weeks in the summertime. But still, they they still are are, are checking in and whatnot. Um, and um, you know, even though like for example, soccer at the Division One level is in the fall um, when when it's normal, not COVID, but when it's normal, it's in the fall. Um, you know, when January rolls around, it's off-season training um, and there's lifting and there's running programs with usually the strength conditioning coach. And then the spring season will go anywhere from February, March to May. And then the summer program starts and you do it all over again. And that's, and that's more hands-on. We're at a Linfield at a Division three level. Um, it's less hands-on, right? So our, our, our season would be in the in, in you know middle of August, and we would go to uh, you know the end of November, early December, and then um, from like January, February, March, it's almost player led, right? Because 
at a smaller institution, these kids are going to want to do more things. There's a little more balance. And then we might have something um, of a spring in just a month of April. And then they do their, uh, you know, player-led summer workout. So it's significantly different um, uh, profile in, in what the calendar looks like. And that's on purpose. So we'll have kids that I think um, athletically maybe would want to compete uh, a division one, division two level. However, you know, they want to do more things. They, 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 you know, they're maybe not wrapped up into, I want to be a professional. They, they, you know, these kids want to have a good soccer experience, but they also want to have leadership positions in our student government, or they want to, um, you know, um, do things with their fraternities and sororities, which is very, very popular in the States. And, and some of them may want to do another sport. So we've got some, some kids that um, are two, two sport athletes. You know, they'll do soccer in the fall and maybe like a run track or something in the spring. So it's, um, it's certainly more holistic that way. You don't see that too much at the, the higher levels, but um, the, the calendar for sure at an Oregon, Oregon State, type of university for athletics it's a 12-month deal so i guess two questions off the back of that the first one is how do you go about uh supporting the athletes to make it uh player-led but also i guess useful because you don't want them just going doing player-led and smashing the ball at the goals and getting your center off shooting all the time um and then the next question as well is Obviously, you've mentioned there that kind of when the game season would be for, for colleges, etc. During your off-season stuff, how do you manage um, the players maybe not playing as frequently or not playing games for the other however many months of the season? Because I can imagine that could be quite challenging where they're training and trying to get development physically or technically, but not having any actual area to grade it in because they're not playing fixtures. Yeah, no, that's that's been a question that, um, especially at the Division One level, has been going on for quite some time. Uh, not enough matches to develop players, you know. And you got to think about the purpose too of Division One. You know, the, you know, it's it's winning those matches, and these kids um, at that level having a pathway to play pro. They they want to be pros, and so, you know, that's why you'll see. A lot of those kids, especially on the on the men's side, anyways, because those were the opportunities that are available that will leave university early to go play pro, right? Even even if it's you know playing at a, a lower division pro, so they can get the matches. Um, but that's that's what that 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 those objectives for Division One are very much centered around there. And so this is where you see the gap in between maybe the rest of the world on hey development you got to play x number of fixtures a year where in the states we're still um uh, we're still in our own little bubble right of uh well you know here we do this and they have this period off and then then we do something else because um you would look back in the 70s and 80s in the states these kids before club soccer became as prevalent you know in, in the fall, you would do certain sport. In the winter, you would do certain sport. In the spring, you would do certain sport. And then you do it all over again. So you basically played three or four different sports growing up. And, and that was very commonplace. It's less commonplace now because, you know, you've got soccer that's got a, a prolific club system. you got volleyball that's a prolific club system. Softball, you know, it goes down, and, uh, you know, down the line there. 
but there's still this this uh, structure of you play different sports. And so it kills the soccer peers. The soccer peers go, I don't understand because you need 60, 80 matches a year to have some type of adaptation so that you can build your skill. And so that's been um, the conversation around the highest levels in division one, for sure. Now for the level I'm at right now, division three, it's, it's not so much. My challenge is to develop a leadership core of, um, of players that, um, that they feel empowered, that they can um, have some ownership in their team in order to uh, be able to help, help the group advance and understanding that in the off season um, for us would be in the winter and spring that they can, you know, do do lifting and do running and 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 have have um, small sided trainings on their own, right? Um, so that they can at least maintain and have investment. So in that way, it it could be a little nerving for the coach, right? That you you kind of you you you're not there to structure them, but at the same time, it's a wonderful opportunity to teach uh, teach them to empower themselves to to lead and and what it's like to be responsible and have responsibility and to you know i think it's hard to manage teammates right i mean because you're kind of mates and you're friends and but at the same time you know we we've got a purpose we've got goals to do and um, i think you know the trick is if you can get um a bunch of young people to to understand the value of that and and go through that experience i think on the other side you've got a, a wonderful team Honestly, when they when they, when you get them as a coach, they're already they're already clicking, right? They're already clicking, and and they're self led, they're motivated, and so um, you know, I'm not saying that's the easiest way to do it, but I think for me personally, I found that that's the most powerful way, you know, and it's just investing that. So um, very different, right? A little different than maybe at the Division One level, although I know there's some Division One programs out there that have wonderful leadership groups that do something similar. Um, but at the division three level, you got to count on that more because we just don't have as much contact time with them. So how do you go about framing that then? Obviously you said there, it's about giving them empowerment. How do you go around selecting the individuals yeah. that you think are going to be appropriate for it? And how do you go about framing it for them? So that, and how often do you check in? What does that look like from a, you know, from a weekly basis? Right. Yeah, that's a that's a great um, question. You know, it, it's something that I try to make intentional. So for 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 now, I'm actually going through um, some leadership development with my next group. So our 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 season, our next season is in the fall, and so we're starting right now um, going through that process of um, giving this leadership group uh, an opportunity to to learn and equip them with um, ideas to fill their toolkit, right? To, to give them uh, a chance to um, ask questions, reflect on their experiences when they weren't leaders, right? Um, and how these, um, these players kind of came to uh, this particular situation, most of them are older, so they've had experiences. So 
you know, they're, they're upperclassmen. So for, my, for, for us, they're my juniors and seniors, mostly all seniors and juniors. So third and fourth years to be. Um, and also I talked to them about, you know, what are the kind of, what are the qualifications and our qualifications, you know, our character and competence, right? So, so you have to have the character piece and then the competence piece um, of, of being able to basically carry on more responsibility. And um, I do this thing with them. Um, I did this with this group uh, last, last month of like, listen, this is what this is going to look like. You don't, you may not want to do it. I'm trying to scare them out of it because it is a lot. And, and I, I, I try to explain to that and, and, and it's okay if they don't, they don't want to do that. And that, there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think of them any less, but I'm just trying to be transparent that, you know, it's, you know, basically doing something bigger than yourself, which, you know, when you're, when you're that age and you're locked in on your, your schoolwork. So these kids, um, they have tremendous amount of schoolwork, right? And so even in the summertime, a lot of these kids are doing research. So the idea of like taking on more weight is, is for some, um, at first a bit of a shock, but you know, the, the, they've all accepted and, and see the value of how that's going to help them um, and help their team. And so for the bigger picture, they feel that going through this experience of, of leadership is going to make them better people. It's going to, it's going to uh, make them better teammates. Um, and it's going to uh, make us, you know, better on the field, you know, those, those types of things. And so um, it's, it's a very important aspect of what I do. I know other programs do something maybe similar, maybe some don't, but I believe that there's a space, there's a void that's there that um, uh, I, I, I think needs to be filled. And if you don't fill it, then it could be filled, it's gonna be filled with something, right? It could be leadership, it could be lack of leadership, it could be complacency. Um, so I try to be very intentional about that. And every year, my leadership group will look different. You know, it's a different team with different personalities. You know, last year we had a, a leadership group of four people that were that were tremendous. You know, I, I called them cultural architects because they did a lot of heavy lifting to, you know, uh, leave it in a better place when they they started. And so now this group is going to try to press on from there. And I'll have groups after this will continue to do that, and they'll do it their own way. But there there are some common threads, and the the threads are, you know, you you build leadership one relation a relationship at a time you know it's about building relationships with uh your your groups and in your your teammates and uh building trust um so that we can be clear and make, make and also making sure you know what your why is why are you doing this why are you here because that's i, I think that's the most powerful uh question that um i challenge my team to ask themselves all the time because i ask myself right why, why am i doing this and so um, it's the driving force to all the behaviors that we want to see. And, I, and for me, it's my part is just to give them structure and help them through the process. And so in terms of selecting those individuals, how do you go around selecting them? Yeah, so um, obviously watching, observing their uh, actions, behaviors over the course of a, of a couple of years. Um, getting input from the uh, prior leadership group who have relationships and who knows 
what you know what it takes and what you have to go through um and and and, and then my coaching staff um you know having them uh, offer their input and then we start with a pool of candidates and then having conversations with those candidates that are that are pretty <laughs> they're pretty upfront and is this something that you want to do this is kind of what it's going to look like these are the the sacrifices you're going to have to make you know and a lot of it's time you know you you, you have to put more time into it so um that's kind of how we come up with it. I'm sure as as we move on, I'm, I'm hoping we can evolve. Maybe we can find uh, better ways to do that. But uh, for now, that's kind of the process. And then you mentioned that initial meeting with them, kind of uh, trying to scare them out of it a little bit to make them understand kind of, I guess, the, the, the impact the role can have. Because if you do it well, it's going to have a really positive impact. But equally, if you don't do it well, it's going to, you know, have a negative impact on some younger people. What, in terms of uh, processes or timeframes, do you give them? So what is their initial timeframe to going, right, these are the four of you. You've all agreed to do it. You need to do X, Y, and Z to start laying the foundations for this. Right. Um, so what the, the process for the time I... Uh, approach uh, an individual to the time we actually get on with it will will vary depending on the circumstance this this year was really different because of covid right um we actually had our fall season in the spring and um and so that really put everything on its head but in general um i would like to have if if it's a normal scenario we have our fall season after the fall we have um, our, we call, you know, a review preview of, of uh, where we were and where we want to be. And at that point, I'll start to um, approach certain individuals going forward of uh, going through um, our leadership program in, in January, February, March, April, so that we can be ready for the, the spring and summer. And then the new group comes in. And so that's how the timing goes. But this year, we've had to really, really condense it because we, we finished our season at the beginning of April. Um, at that point, we did our, uh, our uh, personal development plans for each, each player, talk about things they did well, things they want to improve on. Um, and then from, from that, start to approach some of those potential leaders and, and have those conversations. And then, um, if you know when they're that they 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 feel that they're they're in, which is usually a matter of a couple of days, they'll they'll reflect on it. Um, we we get the group together and we crack on and and like right now, like tonight actually is our is one of our first um, first meetings on on um, a, a book that we're reading as a group that will um, you know hopefully give them some some tools for their leadership toolkit. So initially, are you trying to? give them uh like the tools like you're alluding to there or are you trying to give them uh like example timetables and stuff to say this is you go through what's the initial stage in terms of providing them with i guess data or examples to be able to use moving forward yeah so there are a number number of different um ways we can do it the one the way I, I'm currently doing, I, I have um, I have the group reading a book 
that um, we go through and have um, questions on on each of the sections of the book that are uh, relatable to their own experiences and what they may um, uh, experience going forward. And so uh, they obviously have the the um, luxury of looking at what happened to the prior leadership group and go, oh yeah, they had to go through some of these things. Now they're in it. They can reflect on that. And then we also give them uh, more case studies that are in addition to their own experiences for them to um, sift through and try to make sense of it and go, okay, so what would you do in these scenarios and why? And Have you got um, any examples of those case studies? Yeah, you know, the, 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 the book that we're going through right now is called Extreme Ownership. It's um, by uh, Leif Babin and Jocko Willink. It's, uh, they're, they're two former Navy SEALs, United States Navy SEAL um, officers. And that book was actually highly recommended to me by one of my uh, former captains at, um, at uh, Oregon State University, who is a Navy SEAL now. He's a, he, is, he is one of them. And um, he thought it would be good for, um, you know, sport captains to go through this. And, and it's a very practical uh, book. And, and um, I've done it a couple times. And, and so they basically take um, leadership principles that are, uh, that they used on the battlefield that they also apply to business or organizations, right? So they've been able to transfer it that way. And um, I found it successful to be able to transfer it to um, sport cultures, sporting teams like the ones we have, because um, a lot of those challenges are, are very similar. And so um, one of the one of the the, the my favorite uh, case studies is uh, they had a um, in the Navy SEALs they have a, um, a buds training which is basically trying to it's hell week they're trying to sift you out right they're, they're trying to they're trying to sort you out and they're trying to see who can who can survive and they had a, a thing called a, a, the boat boat uh, boat races where they they basically take these 200 pound rafts and there's teams of six or seven people that all they do is have these races six or seven boats um with six or seven people that um have uh they're 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 chafed they're in the water they have to run on the sand they're bleeding and they have to hold the boat over their shoulder and so they're going through this physically and mentally strenuous exercise and and the the thing that you don't want to do is you don't want to be last because the last place boat gets it pretty hard from the um the leaders the the the, the, the officers that are uh, running it and so uh, there was a there was a, a, a an episode where one boat was always last, and there was one boat was always first. And and one of the um, officers had said, "Why don't we switch the leaders?" So they switched the leaders. Right? They took the leader from the the the, the first place boat to the last place boat, and vice versa. And then they they cracked on and did it again. And the last place boat ended up being in first place and the uh, first place boat still did well, but they were in second place. And um, the concept was there are no such thing as, as, as bad groups, but bad leaders. 
you know, the effect of leadership. And then they uh, did a, a business application as well of, of how that uh, was for um, a tech company. So, you know, that's one of my favorite ones. And, and, I, and I believe that concept too, you know, uh, in general, there's, um, and you gosh, you see that, you see that in, in uh, I know in the UK with uh, all sorts of, of different, uh, especially in soccer in the UK, you see, you see that in the, how do you inspire and, and, you know, get teams to, to be on the same page. And, and I think that taking ownership, you know, the, the, the book is called Extreme Ownership. That's one of the um, great examples of, of a leader taking extreme ownership. And I'm trying to teach my players the concept of what that extreme ownership means. And so um, that's one of my favorite examples that, that we go through. Now, I like that phrase, there's no such thing as bad groups, just bad leadership. I think that's a really interesting phrase to use. So in a practical setting, um, what do these leaders actually do and how do they decide which individuals are in which group? Is it position specific? Is it need specific? Right. What does that actually look like? And then in terms of the details of things they actually deliver to their peer group, what do they actually deliver to them on like kind of on a practical sense? So the the initial the initial responsibilities that they will have is they will um, organize themselves in groups for um, for the summer. These small groups, and you know, uh, in in their groups, they could have. Um, you know, uh, returning players who are maybe uh, second year players, third year players, as well as new players, like, you know, freshmen that are coming in from high school. And so, um, you know, making sure that their small group is um, on track with, you know, what they need to do to prepare themselves for the fall when they come in for the season but also to build relationships, you know, to, to, to be able to um, um, help the new players that are, are you know, leaving home right, potentially for the first time and, and uh, making that a, a smooth onboarding process. And, and so, you know, they, we leave it to them to figure out, you know, how, how frequent they want to do check-ins. And so, you know, we have kids that uh, in groups are going to be scattered all over the country. And so, you know, one of the, you know, like we're doing right now, one of the, the silver linings with the COVID that everybody knows how to use Zoom or something like it. So, you know, to be able to connect um, is is um, something that you can you can do. You know, obviously in person is always the best, but um, making sure that uh, these these groups, these leaders or these groups are, are connecting on a frequent basis so that they can check in on each other. And I think that is a, an intentional piece of what we all want the culture to be. And now these group leaders know how they fit into um, affecting that culture. And so um, that that would be the, the first thing. And then when we all come back, you know, they may have specific roles um, that um, maybe accentuates their strengths. So we might have, you know, some, some that are, are um, really good at um, planning, um, you know, player get-togethers because that, that's kind of what they do. And you have others that, for example, I've got um, a, a player who she's interning as an exercise physiologist and, and going through strength conditioning. And so she's writing up and has wrote up 
a, um, a summer training program for, for, for soccer players. And so she's going to execute that as a, a part of her, um, her academic experience, right? So there's all these different roles that um, are, are necessary. And, you know, I'll obviously try to put them in the, the best role to, to get the most out of their experience, but also to serve, serve the team. No, I think it's really interesting. It comes down to what their skill sets are as well, utilizing the skill sets in the team and, and adjusting accordingly. Have you had any particularly challenging situations with this where either individuals haven't done it particularly well or one of the other uh, teammates has taken exception or, or acted out? Has there been any challenges to implementing it? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's happened, especially early on, um, you know, um, a couple of years ago, we, we you know, had, had experienced that. And um, you have to, you have to uh, have a positive outlook, but also expect those things to happen. And, and what do you do when those happen? And, and um, you know, we believe in uh, being uh, transparent and honest and be able to handle the responsibility head on. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, we want to um, help those people in those moments to reflect and improve, you know, but, at, but when, it's, when it's all said and done, um, you know, we'll help them, but they've got to be able to do the work. And so sometimes, you know, in a leadership position, um, they might have to take another role. That's not a leadership position, right? Because it's affecting the whole group. Um, but to get to there, you know, we certainly want to um, coach up these these individuals so that they can, um, you know, reach their potential. But I also know that everybody's got a different learning line, right? Everybody everybody's uh, track to learn is different. We're all different individuals with uh, different experiences that we bring in, and so um, uh, at, at that time, maybe some of these these uh, leaders aren't quite ready for it. That you know. They, they might tell me they are in my scared straight uh, talk with them, but when it really hits the fan, you know, maybe not. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll uh, find another role for them that maybe um, is, is different. Um, but the thing that, um, you know, we don't want to have is we don't want to think, we don't have things go toxic, right? That's, that's the thing that, um, you know, we're all on the lookout for to, to try to address and try to remedy. But um, I think like in any organization, if you, can, if you can do the right things most of the time, as far as um, how we go about um, what we do, what we say, who we are, um, you know, it still won't be 100%. And, you know, they're, they're those tough decisions that you have to make um, once in a blue moon. We just don't want them to be as frequent. What about if you've got an individual within the group that keeps challenging one of these people in a leadership role? Yeah, I think it depends on the nature of the challenge, right? I think the nature of the challenge for, for us is, is healthy to question, you know, it's healthy. It's, it's, it's not dic you know, a dictatorship, um, but the nature of the challenge, um, if it's undermining, if it's toxic, then that will be an issue that, um, you know, I'll help uh, the, 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 the leadership group uh, sort out and, um but again, same thing. We we there's there's healthy challenges because you know we all uh, if we're in a growth mindset, we're going to take some of these questions head on, and maybe we we need to think outside the box in some things. And so um, you know we 
one of the things we talk about is we we take no offense, we mean no offense. That's something that we we talk about. So um, this is a scenario that we would definitely sort out um, in that same manner. Perfect. So one of the things you mentioned earlier on was around the why. Why do people play or what is the motivation? And this is one of the things when Larry put us in touch, he told me to touch on with you because he said that uh, you had some interesting thoughts and whatnot around this area. So I guess from you and your experiences, what is the importance of asking the why? Um, And I guess how do you go around, particularly with the older age groups who are going to be maybe socially more aware um, and maybe at times are going to mask what their real why is or whatnot. How do you go around discovering that why and why is it so important to understand what the motivation for an individual is? Well, I, I think the why is, is at the core. It's at the, the beginning of, of how we want to act, behave, how we want to persevere how we want to reach objectives and um it's the thing that drives it and and so i i try to to explain that to the players i do that in in the recruiting process you know when i'm recruiting players you know i'll say you know why do you want to play college soccer what what why why you know and and it's interesting because i don't get the answers but i know the wheels are spinning and sometimes you know, when they really, really think about it, um, they might discover that it's different than they thought it would be. You know, when you're when you're younger, and especially if you're an exceptional player, the why um, could also be conditioned by by your parents, right? And 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 things of that nature. At uh, at Linfield, the the why for our kids. Uh, it's important for them to not only um, ask themselves that the first time, but on a regular basis, because, you know, especially with, with uh, the, the age kids you're talking about, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, there are significant changes throughout each of those ages. You know, they're, 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 they're looking at the life uh, at, at 18 years old as, wow, I just left home and I'm going to do a new routine. I'm going off to university. Well, when they're 20, 20, 21, they're going, wow, I'm going to have to get a job soon. Or, wow, I'm going to have to do this soon. And if you're at a Division One level, you might be thinking, okay, how, how am I going to get a contract? You know, what, what's that going to look like? And so that why should be, at the end of the day, um, pretty consistent, you know. And so at Linfield, it's, I, I love the game. I've been playing it since I was young. I, I love to compete. I love to win. I love my teammates and I love this place that gives me the opportunity to do all these things because just like in the UK, there's a fraction of people that love the sport of football that can get paid for it full time. That's, that's the reality, even, even less in the United States. So the, the, the odds are you're not going to make a living doing that. So for us in the States, these kids, this is probably the last hurrah for them to play a, a, a highly structured, at a highly structured level of soccer. That's it. And so if you're going to do it, make sure you know why you're doing it. You're doing it because you're doing, you love to play. You want to learn. You want to get better. You want to compete because after the four years, you're done. It, it's over. 
you know, um, yeah, you have at the division level, a fraction of those players go on. And I've been super fortunate to, to coach some of those players, but the overwhelming majority, the 99% of players who, who go play in the university, that's the highest level. So I believe it's got to be a, a transformational experience for them that they're going to take with them to whatever they decide to do. Because I think there's a lot of lessons that you can get um, out, of, out of college sport. And this is a sensitive question. Is do you think there's any uh, any whys that are more valid than others? So from your experiences, would you say that there's some whys you go, yeah, that's completely understandable. I hundred percent agree with that. Whereas there might be others where you go, that's not a valid why. That's not a good reason to be playing. Yeah, well, I think that's a personal question. So, so the validity of a why you can have one person saying I, I play because I want to be a professional one day right and and um, to that person that's the driving force and someone else could see that and say well you know you're not as good as you think and you know that um, it's probably going to be difficult for you because there's not the pathways they're not the pathways to 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 play as much right so it depends on the person I think it's a personal why an answer to that is for, for your experiences coming to that moment, you're thinking flat out, well, for me, I want to have fun because, you know, in my past experiences, I didn't have as much fun, right? So I think the, the validity of a why depends on the person. And so when you're looking, as you mentioned there, kind of recruiting individuals, how much emphasis do you place on that answer? And how are there any red flags that come to you as a recruiter? 100%. Yeah, that, totally. I, 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 for me, you know, I, I want the why to be very intrinsic, right? It's very intrinsic. Now, if, if uh, you know, gosh, back, back when I was coaching in Division One, you know, a lot of the whys came to be, I want to play pro. And, um, and, and there, there's nothing wrong with that, but I also know that that's a moving target. You know, that, that, that's something, um, somebody somewhere has to sign you and offer you a contract. So that part's out of your control. Um, I think, uh, you know, your why should be, uh, very intrinsic. It should be the thing that when you wake up, there it is and, and you're, you're, you're dealing with it. So, um, with, with those who are looking at extrinsic whys to be driven by things of, of the outside nature, um, I tell them, I said, you know, there, there's nothing wrong having a goal, but your goal and your why can be different, right? I think that's, that's very, very important. You know, your purpose and your goals can be different. Your goals could be, hey, I want to play pro one day, which is fine, but, you know, what is your why to do that? And I think, you know, given, given a person clarity is, uh, is critical. It's a part of, of, I think, my responsibility as their coach, mentor in their phase of life at that moment, because they're developing still, to have them reflect on, able to learn from it. And how do you go about aligning the, the players' why with the team's why or your why so the example i use for it would be you you've stated earlier on that um 
you know, your, your culture that you've created is very, you know, development focused, developing them holistically, people and, and players. Whereas you might have a tip player that comes into your team who isn't really worried about the development, just wants to win. Every time they play and train on matches, they win, they want to win. That is what they're focused on. At times, those two are going to counteract one another because it might be you not giving them a piece of information or you putting them in at the deep end a little bit to so that they develop longer term, which goes counteracts completely against the winning. So how do you go about aligning those or where do you go about merging them enough so that both parties have a sense of, okay, this is a compromise I'm willing to make? Well, the, 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 the answer to the first question is I, I'm responsible to make sure that the, the people that I bring in, while they may not be perfectly aligned, that they are aligned enough that they can grow, right? So, so I, I, I'm looking at those factors. How do I do that? It's, it's through, you know, um, uh, asking questions. It's through um, uh, talking to their, their, their coaches, maybe their teachers, doing some background homework, right, um, on them. So while they might not be spot on all the time, but I got to feel they're close enough so they can grow. And then I'm very, very um, clear to everybody that, you know, the growth part is going to look different for everybody. Right. There, there's going to be some growth parts for some people <laughs> that will have that friction that you're talking about. And, 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 and I will be very intentional so that I, I feel that they have the opportunity to grow. And growing sometimes is, can be painful. Right. And I don't and I don't do it um, certainly for for short term gains, um, but it's for it's for long term sustainment. And, um, you know, that's where. You know, in sport, you know, you, you, as a coach, you kind of have to walk the line with, okay, results, short-term, long-term, you know, you got to go, go through that. You know, do I not put a player into the lineup or start them because there's a lesson to be learned for that player that is valuable at the expense of, hey, you know what, it'd be nice to have this forward in there because, you know, that forward can score a lot of goals for you and you, you, might, you might not get a result because of that, you know. And, you know, I, I, I think about those scenarios all the time. Um, I certainly don't want to put the, 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 the team from reaching their objectives of winning and performing well, but at the same time, there is a holistic piece that is very, very important. And, you know, um, you know, anything that um, is, is a, against a culture is not worth a result. It just, it just isn't. And I can say that with ease at the level that I'm coaching at. And I get it. When you're at a higher level, you, you know, that's, that's, not, that's not as easily said. You know, some people can feel they lose their job be, be, because you're not getting results because you're trying to, you know, make a statement here and there. Um, but for me, these aren't statements. These are, these are, you know, growing opportunities. And, and so, but I try to make sure I do my homework in advance and help these kids in advance so that we don't find ourselves in those moments too often, right? Yes, we're going to find our, ourselves in those moments. But if I can mitigate that and get on the front end of these things, um, the, the, the better off we will, all, we will all be. But I just, I understand that there are times, you know, you have to, as a coach, um, 
you know, maybe make a decision that's more long-term than short-term. And um, you do everything you can to, to still get the short-term game uh, and the, the long-term um, solution. So you semi-answered my next question, which was going to be when you're at the D1 level, where yeah. obviously there is pressure to, to win games or get through to national championships, et cetera, how do you manage that dynamic then? Yeah, that's a tough one, you know, especially if you feel that uh, result-wise your your squad is on the the precipice of doing something very special. That that's that's a that's a hard one, but most of the time, you know, you're there doing something very special because of the behaviors, because of your culture. Obviously, there's a skill piece that's there, but you know, Going through my experiences, I will tell you this, I, I never want to be held hostage by um, anything that is going to go against what we're trying to be as a group. And, and, and sometimes, you know, a coach can feel they're held hostage by a talented player, right? And so, so you, you know, there's the, the, the legwork you got to put into that. Um, and, and certainly there's a lot of investment that you have to make in certain players more than others to get them to come around and to see. Um, and, you know, I know that's not easy. That's not easy at all. But uh, if you're looking to try to sustain success instead of being one-offs, um, then there is a common denominator that is crystal clear, crystal clear through, through all of it. And, um, you know, as much as it pains me to, to, to praise that Sir Alex Ferguson. I mean, he was brilliant at, you know, taking things head on when he thought it was against culture and removing players that you had never thought you would remove, right? Because nothing was uh, was bigger than, than the team and the culture. And I think that, you know, if you were, if you have a, a team or an organization that's aspiring, you will find yourself in those moments at times where you, you have to make a choice and if you're in a situation that you're able to to choose long term, and 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 do it the right way, um, then you know you you you've got yourself to a good place. Um, and and I think that there's no there's no uh, easy answer to it, but there is a feeling, and I've been in that feeling before, and it's very unsettling. But um, I can tell you right now where I I sit, um, it's clear what I do. It's you you do what's best for the culture. You do what's best for the long term. Because I believe the the short term results will sort itself out. No, I think that makes complete sense, and I think it's a really interesting predicament because a lot of um, a lot of coaches all around the world will be able to relate to that, where you have someone who isn't quite fitting in with the culture or is affecting the rest of the team, and how how do you manage that? So, looking in terms of long-term development and stuff as you mentioned there as we mentioned earlier sorry you've worked with some really good players that have gone on to um you know achieve some really good things within the mls so looking at the list i found you've got uh, danny mwanga don't want to butcher his name and uh, emery welshman and kiri shelton who are the three that kind of sprung out of mind is there any common factors that you saw between those three that really made them stand out either within their why or as them as individuals that have helped them to really push on in their careers? You know, when I had the opportunity to, to be with those three, um, 
I certainly uh, did not have the uh, the depth to talk to them about their why. I wish I did. Um, I really do. I, I wish I did. Because um, I think I would have maybe um, helped them a little bit more, right? Um, the, the, the three, the, the things that they all had in common, they were, they were naturally gifted. So they, they brought things to the table that were nature. They, they were, they were, you know, just, uh, um, very gifted at being, um, footballers, athletes, et cetera. Um, the other thing is that the three, uh, were, uh, exceptionally, um, driven. They were, they were very driven to um, be at the best they could be because they, they all felt that the, um, the next step for them after, after university was a realistic opportunity. And it was, for sure. And so, um, you know, it's different when you can't see, you know, the, 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 that, that next stop and it's, it's a desert. But, you know, if you see it and you go, man, it's not that far away, you know, um, the motivation can be very, very different. So they, they were very driven and, um, and they all, um, had their own journey, you know, relatively different journeys. And they, they all were exceptional people. They're like the, 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 they're nice people. They treated people nice. They, uh, were, were people of character. Um, they, they were trustworthy. I mean, I can go on and on about the character piece, of those three. And so that, that probably outside of some of the, the, the freakish athletic talent that they carried, probably those, those three, that, 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 that the character piece um, and the kindness, how they treated people, that's the thing that jumps off at, uh, at me when I think about those three. So, you know, um, they are all added value to any team's culture, right? So, you know, they, they, they have their trials or whatnot at the professional level. And you know how it is that the manager's in one, one day and they bring you in and all of a sudden they're out and there's another manager maybe doesn't fancy you, right? And so um, the thing that all these three could uh, add value to with any, any manager is that they, they add value to their culture, the team's culture. They work hard, they, they treat people nice, they take responsibility. Um, they they um, are are good in their craft uh, on the field, uh, but they're team players for sure. Who who have you know they they have the ability to 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 step into the spotlight if the coach needs them to do that. And um, you know that for me uh, that that transcends um, with uh, any type of organization. And so. Um, I think with with those three, you know, that character piece, it's it's uh, front and center outside of their athletic ability. That character, I've seen athlete, really good athletes that that uh, unfortunately don't have that character piece, and um, you know, they live uh, short careers, if any. And so, obviously, I'd imagine when you went to recruit them, um, and you know, you're sitting in a, in that front room trying to get them to come to your college. I imagine they would have other offers, and you would have. Um, understand that they were very good players um, and I imagine you would have done some due diligence on, on their background and stuff. Was there any, anything in particular when you were sitting in front of them that you were able to really highlight to say, I definitely want this player 
win my team. I feel like if this player was in my team, he would really help us outside of just being an outstanding footballer. Yeah, you know, and with those three, they're they're all different stories. You know, with with Danny Danny Moanga, Danny, um, I, I I inherited him. So when I uh, came to Oregon State, he was already there. But one of the things I did was have a meeting with him as I, as I took the job. I, I I met with him to basically say, Hey, here's who I am. Here's where I see you play. Here's what we're gonna do, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with uh, um, Emery. Emery Welshman, uh, Emery actually was a transfer. So he, he was at another university, transferred to Oregon State. And so in that transfer process, um, you know, I had to get to know him, get to know him and his family. Um, I remember uh, going on a recruiting trip to Europe and um, stopping in Toronto because that's where Emery's from. Uh, stopping in Toronto, the airport there uh, had a layover to meet with him and his, his parents. And, uh, you know, um, talk about, um, you know, what my vision uh, was and where I saw him and then, you know, um, kind of see how, how, how he was. And then with Kyrie Shelton, um, Kyrie, you know, uh, that was all for, he played for me all four of his years. And so I met with him and his family, his mom and dad in, in Austin, Texas, where he, he was from at the time and uh, got to know him that way. Um, you know, when you when you look at these kids on the field, and you're you're evaluating them. They jump off. They're like, wow, they, they're exceptional. And um, you know, so so what I do right away, I, I talk to their coaches and the people that know them best, and see if there are red flags I got to be concerned about. And uh, with with um, you know with these three, they were all just exceptional people. And um, so that was that was good. That's a that's an important box to check for me, and uh, so from then, it's to to sell them on you know why Oregon State at the time is the the place they could, you know, thrive. And um, you know, uh, with Danny, he was already there, so that was less of a sell. But still, I wanted him to be on board. But with the other two, I, I had to do that, and and it was about the culture, and and it was about aligning. Hey, in this culture, you can also achieve team goals as well as your personal goals, knowing their personal goals, they want to play at the next level, right? So, um, you know, being able to align that while other suitors are doing the same thing. So, you know, it's a bit of a rat race that way. You know, all I can do is say, this is who we are. This is what we try to do. This is how we do it. And if it aligns with you, then you'll find yourself having a great experience here. And so that's what I always try to do to my best of my ability. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but it's out there. Um, it's who we are. So when they do come here, I feel that, um, you know, they are, uh, are getting the bill of goods that uh, we talked about. And do you think that's important? Because I'd imagine in that it'd be very easy to be a salesman um, and say, you know what, you're going to play every minute as striker. I'm never going to sub you. We're going to go through you every single time. We're going to make you look like Messi. But then in reality, you can't live up to that promise. So is the fact of being genuine and having that, um, I guess, authority to say that here's my previous, I've followed through on the, all these promises previously. Do, is that an important part of the recruitment process for you on a personal level? Yeah, it is. I mean, you you do have to 
you do have to be a salesman. It's just, what are you selling? You know, um, you know, the thing is, I'm, I think I'm at the time I'm trying to sell a, uh, sell a, a, a fantastic experience, right. And, and, and what it could lead to. Um, I, I never promised, uh, you know, starting or playing time. But what I would say is that, well, if you can do what you can do, then you're going to get what you're going to get. Um, especially with the environment we're trying to create. And, um, you know, I believed in that and, 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 and I felt we try to live through that. And I still do that now, even, even at Linfield, it's, it's very, very important that we do that. Um, but you know, I, I can't get carried away on what others might do to, to, to sway them because that's not, that's not me. And, and, you know, have I lost maybe recruits that could, could have impacted us? Maybe, probably. Um, but I also know I can go to sleep at night too. That's, that's actually more important. Um, and the kids that do come in, you know, when they're, you know, all said and done, hopefully they feel that they've got the experience that they were, you know, were talking about, uh, across the dinner table when I visited them when they were in high school. And how much of a challenge is it for you competing against what might be considered traditionally bigger university or more high profiles? You, you look around, you've got, you know, your Stanford, your UCLA's, you know, um, Clemson, et cetera, who all could potentially be going after the same players, all different part of the countries, uh, country, et cetera. How challenging was it for you in that role to go after similar players and, was there a particular USP that you could offer or was it just a case of the program, the environment that you created? No, I, I, I thought it was a tremendous challenge. You know, I think it, it kind of still is today. But, you know, when I reflect back on being, the again, you know, the bottom third of the Premier League, right, um, and having to have to you know you name right there the big six right for 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 u.s university soccer at division one level you know that's kind of the big six and you know how how is that possible and i think knowing what i know now it's it's making sure that you know it's appealing to to young people that they're going to be happy you know and what's going to make you happy well you're going to become a better player you're going to learn you're going to do that in an environment where it's going to be challenging, but it's going to be positive and that you're going to want to come to training every day because you love it. Right. And, and I think that, you know, being able to be consistent and resonate that message and, and, and do that with your current teams. Um, yeah, that, that's going to be something where it, it is going to be appealing, right? It is going to be appealing. And now, is there a salesmanship to, to kind of polish that, to get, you know, more the top kids in the door potentially, right? Potentially. But I think that, you know, you are who you are. And if you get those right players in now, are, as a coach, you, you have to be able to put them in a situation where you can knock off the big sixes, right? You do what, you know, do what Leicester City's doing right now. You do, do what, what, you know, West Ham's doing right now, where, where, you know, they are doing it right. And, and, you know, the question that I would have with, West Ham is like, is this a one-off, right? Like all you guys over there are thinking about that, you know, but you look at what Brendan Rogers done at Leicester is like, huh, you know, this might not be a one-off. This could, there could be something there. Right. So uh, I, I, I love to, to look at that, those types of, um, of situations where you're going, God, this, this organization is trying to sustain something you can tell. 
and it's not just buying the biggest players, right? It's it's something different. So we might not get have got the same players as UCLA or Clemson, but you know we got the right players to do what we do awfully well. That in, at the end of the day, you know we could we can compete and beat these teams, and so. Uh, and I believe that. So I, I think that, you know, just being yourself and obviously having the right game model um, to to get these types of players. Um, but they, they, they also want to be happy. They want to be happy. Yeah, they're going to work hard and they're going to they're going to grow and they're going to it's going to be painful sometimes. But going through that process, I think it's that's something that's a valuable commodity that you can sell, that you can be you. You can you know, you can be, you know, one of the bottom six, but you're actually uh, playing like a big six. And that's that's something that I think you can do anywhere, you know, uh, but it's not easy, uh, but it does start with, you know, your culture and how you want your, your size to look. And so when you're looking at um, pressurized situations, you know, in terms of competing against those, those big teams, competing in national championships and all that type of stuff, you alluded to earlier, you know, in your football and stuff, some of the, the crowds they get at college games is extraordinary, really. You know, you've got 120,000 people, 80,000 people, 90,000 people often cheering for 18, 19 year olds, which, and you see them around campus, everyone's going to know exactly who they are and all that type of stuff. What type of pressures do you think that puts on an athlete and how do you feel like you can support them? I know, in a football context or soccer context, it might be a little bit different, but I'd imagine competing for a big university, big D1 university, is still going to have some of those pressures. So how do you help them transition and cope with those? Well, and you're, you're right. I, I, you know, coaching D1 soccer players um, is different than going coaching D1 uh, American football players or D1 basketball players because those pressures are are extremely different they're extremely different and and um so i don't i don't have um personal experience doing that what i do have is um personal observations of how some of these um programs did that and you know again it, it depends on the coaching philosophy and the, and the coaching environment you know there's a there's a coaching staff uh, at one point that they, they were very holistic in how they treated their players. And um, you can see them um, uh, kind of uh, helping them with more than just the American football. And I thought that was very empowering to them as the few that end up getting drafted in the NFL, being very successful, be, being able to kind of sustain uh, the pressures because I think they were able to develop human skills, right? The, the, the competitive maturity that you need to um, be at that level. I've never been at that level and I, and I haven't coached at that level. So I don't know what it's like, but I just watching um, from across the way. Was there remember, anything in particular they did that stood out to you? Any particular example of that? Yeah, you, you know, I remember, uh, I was gonna say, you know, the, these schools in the spring would have uh, uh, NFL combines at their campus. So, you know, there would be some days like right now, this time of year where um, a, a bunch of NFL scouts would come to a campus and they would run these kids, these players through certain activities and drills and <clears throat> get times. And so there's a, there's a pressure because they're sitting right there watching you. 
And um, the thing that jumped out at me with the, the experience I'm thinking about on top of my head is the human side of just being able to put an arm around a shoulder with some of these, these players who in their minds, it's, it's a life-changing contract that's potentially on the other side of this. And being able to, um, you know, have them uh, deal with deal with pressures in a way that, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. It's not. It's it's it is not about, um, you know, whether you get a, a certain uh, forty yard sprint time. It's doing the best you can and trying to boil it down to that, so that they they know that they're you're humans first, who happen to be trying to make the NFL. And I thought that was just tremendous. You know, when you appeal to that that piece, um, one of the coaches told me, you know what, you know, even if they do the make, if they do make the NFL, after they're done, they're going to be human again, right? They're they're going to have to come back. So you know, we try to help them on the front side, and I thought that was just just a tremendous way of how you treat people and how you help young people through. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really um, prevalent point. I was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, with, with a football out here. To be fair, I played for Liverpool, John Ostenbor. Um, oh, okay. he, he played a few years ago and he was talking on the podcast um, and was talking about the struggles of losing identity after finishing playing. And I think that what you said there around, you know, you'll be a football player and then you'll be someone else after it. I think that's something that probably isn't drip fed into athletes enough is that you can be holistic and being Michael, the football player, you can just be Michael who plays football. And those are two very different, you know, two very different sta- statements. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. I think, I think that's a very interesting way to go. Um, and I guess, and this is challenging for you from your perspective. Did you see it change the coaches? Did you see the pressure um, either of winning or losing change how the coaches either dealt with themselves, how they dealt with the players, how they dealt with the people around the facilities. Did you see that at all? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can tell, you know, you can tell the vibe if, if um, the season was going well. You know, you can, you can kind of feel the spirit around the whole athletic department and you can, you can feel it the other way around. You can just, you can just, there's a weight, you know, a fog. And um, even though, you know, I'm totally separate from that and I've got my own scenario to deal with, um, you can, you can just feel it. I I remember there was one year that the the football team was doing exceptionally well and uh, man, you know, everybody had a little pep in their step and, you know, smile. I mean, you you know, there's that feeling that way and um, which is good and bad, you know, I mean, it's good because, you know, you want to celebrate um, people doing well and the kids doing well and, and so on. But it's bad that you have to, you have to be dependent on that, right? You, 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 you know, you, you know that you're going to have good and bad and, you know, you're going to have to deal with them. And, you know, so we try to crack on to do the best we can, regardless of what was going on with our football or basketball team. But you can tell there was a, there was a feeling of um, either either good or bad, depending on the season. And um, it kind of permeated through the rest of the athletic department at times. And was there anything that you took away as a practitioner that you said, either 
I could steal that for soccer players or myself, or I definitely wouldn't do that or, or, would, or wouldn't uh, use that on my players. Yeah, you know, I, I would, I would, well, first of all, if we were having a, a good football or basketball season, I would use it uh, as a recruiting tactic. So, you know, because you would get exposure on TV, you know, you'd be on ESPN or, or something like that. So you would get the uh, those impressions that are valuable um, in the recruiting side of things. But as far as practitioner, um, I wasn't on the end, and I didn't go to their practices, and I and I and I wasn't on the inside of their staff meeting, so I don't know the ins and outs. And I think that that's the part where sometimes, as observers, we kind of see the um, the, the byproduct of some decisions. Um, but I know because you know having my own staff meetings, there's there's that iceberg effect. There's so much that goes on beneath the surface that um, that we don't know if you're not in there, right? And um, so I, I I do know this is that uh, when you're when things aren't going well, um, you can you can see the pressure of having to make decisions weigh heavily, especially on the coaches. You can just see it. You can see that at any level, at, at, honestly, any level. Um, but uh, you, you can see that in their faces and the body language that they're going through some stuff right now. And um, I always try to be personal with them. You know, I always try to, you know, um, lighten it up with a joke or something. But, um, you know, there are times I know that they were going through some, some challenges. And, um, um, but I, I wasn't privy to all the things that happened in the inside in the, in the, in the boot room, right? I, I don't know. Uh, I kind of would, lo would love to have been a fly on the wall, right? Um, you know, the, the Jose Mourinho all access, all in access, right? I mean, that's why those things are so damn popular be because of you're, you're seeing these things, quote unquote, kind of unfiltered, you know? Um, and I can't tell you how many times I, I listen to British um, talk sport and listen to Spurs fans talk about that documentary, right? And because... How many times do we ever get access? Never. I mean, it's never. And, and so I wish I could because I would want to learn, you know, for sure. Uh, but I do know this, um, those, those people, and I've been one of those people, you know, you, you are in a situation where you might feel the pressure and you just hope that you make good decisions regardless. Perfect. Listen, Steve, I'm going to ask you one last question because um, I know we're fastly approaching the time that we allow for this. So. Um, who is the best coach or player you've worked with or against and why? Ooh. Yeah, I knew this was coming. Um, played, um, well, the three that you mentioned, uh, exceptional, and, and they were the best in their own way for sure. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the coaches that um, – there are many coaches that I, I've been able to work with. Um, that were were wonderful. One of them I, I had a chance to coach with um, in Olympic development, which is um, kind of a junior Olympic type of scenario uh, out in the Midwest when I lived in Illinois. Um, his name uh, is Barker. Ian Barker is now our, he's a director of coaching of United Soccer Coaches. Uh, it's, it's, our, it's the largest coaching organization in the world, I believe, for soccer. Um, and he, he's um, he was tremendous. He and I went on uh, a couple of tours um, to to Europe and South America with uh, top teams, youth teams, and one of our, our, our 
funnest moments is when we beat uh, Manchester United's uh, U17 team. That was fun. We, we enjoyed that. Um, probably the top coach I, I coached against, um, Caleb Porter. Caleb Porter is the, the current coach for um, Columbus Crew in the MLS. Um, you know, uh, in his college coaching career, he used to coach at a, a school called University of Akron. And that's when I was at Northern Illinois University. And um, when I think back about what he, how he coached, I thought he, I think at the time he was ahead of his time when I see what he's done now. Um, and um, he's, you know, he's that has had a tremendous pro career and it's been kind of fun to, to watch him. Perfect. Listen, Steve, a really, really good conversation with loads of really interesting bits, which I'm sure uh, everyone will find useful. Um, really appreciate your time, time and hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.